0: It's time to play like a jet with your host Scott Mason play like a jet. What does that mean? I made it clear that my intention was to play and my intention was to play for the New York Jets.
1: Rogers going for it all. Looking to bring it open. He's got it. Lazar. Gonna go. Touchdown. Rogers snaps it. quick, scrambles to his right. Pumps and
0: Runs. And Rodgers is inside the pylon. away Garrett Wilson Wilson a big play downfield Allen tripped up he could not get past Jermaine Johnson oh look at the speed of Brees Hall he's done it again Brees Lightning 62 yards for the touchdown
1: and he's sacked again by Quincy Williams what a beast number 95 for the Jets listen
0: Thank you. This is Play Like a Jet, my name is Scott Mason, you can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1 And it's time for part two of the weekend mailbag, so for that we bring in our friend who is the editor over at Jet Nation, Mr. Glenn Naughton Glenn, welcome back
1: Thank you so much for having me, always a great time
0: So let's jump right into this with your countryman, Gus Toon Although, Glenn, you of course were born and raised in the United States and then moved to England Gus is an Englishman through and through. And so Gus asks, if Aaron Rodgers does indeed help the Jets win a Super Bowl, will he be remembered more as a Jet or a Packer? I think he'll still be remembered more as a Packer, but the accomplishment of winning a Super Bowl with the Jets might be his signature accomplishment. So it's really a strange situation. It's funny because Peyton Manning and Tom Brady are sort of the examples you would follow. I don't think anybody sees Tom Brady as... And Peyton Manning as more of a Bronco and more of a Buccaneer than more of a cult and more of a New England Patriot. But obviously there are those memories of Brady coming in and winning that Super Bowl with the Bucks, First one in about 20 years. Peyton Manning going in and winning that first Super Bowl for the Broncos since the John Elway era. So clearly there are memories there. And with the Jets, it would be different because the Jets haven't won in over 50 years. And so that would be an even bigger accomplishment. But I don't think people would remember him as a Jet first and foremost. But as far as his number one signature moment, I think that would be something they'd remember as him winning it with the Jets.
1: Yeah, I think I would I would equate it to the, if, if I, I once heard Jumbo Elliott in an interview, right? Jumbo Elliott, lifelong giant. Uh, you know, played a couple years with the Jets late in his career, and of course had that the 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 Monday Night Miracle touchdown against the Dolphins. And he said in an in- interview one time, he said, "I get asked more about that damn play than anything else I did in my career. Like I I played longer with the Giants, I won Super Bowls with the Giants, but all anyone ever asks me about is that. And it that that would be Aaron Rodgers' crowning achievement. Like if he wins a Super Bowl with the Jets, a team that you know they've been." they've spent a you know a large portion of of their existence as sort of a laughing stock and the same old Jets and you know everyone no one takes them seriously you know we we get these couple short spurts of of mild success every decade or so Um, but yeah that that would be that would would be the crowning achievement of his career although yes he would still be remembered as a Packer Um, but uh, of course Scott in the minds of Jets fans it would be as if the Packers never existed and we wouldn't care but The NFL as a whole, yes, he would be Aaron Rodgers, the former Packer. But, oh, my God, he's also the guy who got the Jets a Super Bowl ring.
0: Next question comes in from Gangrene for Life. He asks, with another top five defense, what are the chances Jeff Ulbrich gets a head coaching interview who would replace Ulbrich if he were to Leave so I would say That if the Jets have another top Five defense there's a decent Chance that Ulbrich would get some Interviews I don't know What people around the league think of him In terms of how much of that Defense is his and how much of it is Salas. this is sort of that old Mike Petton, Rex Ryan situation where If you remember Mike Petten at a Certain point had to leave the Jets and go be A coordinator for the Bills just because He wanted to prove that it wasn't just Rex that he was capable and then of course he ended up getting the head coaching job with the Cleveland Browns I don't know if that's something Jeff Ulbrich would have to do but I am curious what other teams think of Ulbrich or if they just think that he's one of Salah's foot soldiers in terms of who would replace him as the defensive coordinator that's a really good question I would assume it would be somebody internally although the Jets obviously just made a change on the offensive side of the ball and they went externally. They got Nathaniel Hackett from the outside rather than promoting from within, but that was a different situation. Aaron Whitecotton is somebody who pops into my head just because – He's been pretty visible, and obviously the defensive line has been really good. So perhaps he's the guy that would get the promotion. I'd have to really dig in and ask around, though, who is considered the successor if Ulrich were to leave. But at this moment, I wouldn't be too worried about it.
1: Yeah, I think that anytime you're you're a coordinator who coaches the side of the ball that the head coach also came from, there are going to be questions in regards to you know what's driving your success. You know, we've we've seen it. Many times in the past, you mentioned Mike Pettin. Of course, you know, we've seen it in in Kansas City with Eric bien And any time you have a a coach who has a ton of success on one side of the ball, and then he, you know, he becomes a head coach and his assistant, his coordinator does a good job, there will always be lingering questions who's really making it happen. So teams are going to want to dig into that. But I I think uh, White Cotton's a good name. But I think the first name that comes to mind for me because of how they've played is Tony Oden. Um, you know he's been doing it for he's been a, an assistant he's been a coach for a million years now um, what he's got 20 years experience and he's done such a good job at that at, at that spot where you know where he's where he's been working with the, the sauce gardener and DJ Reed to the world. So I think he's a guy who gets a look White Cotton, he's he's been around for a little while too. I think he's a, a sort of 10 11 year guy so maybe he does but those are the first two names that pop to mind for me.
0: Play like a jet play like a jet. Next question comes in from Riv Takes Flight. Yes. Will the Jets sign Quan Alexander? Doesn't look like it, honestly. At one point, Glenn, you said you thought it was inevitable. Now it looks like it's probably not going to happen. Maybe he comes back on a super cheap deal. The Chuck Clark injury might open things up because I think the Jets were going to use Chuck Clark as a third down linebacker a lot. So maybe now with Amos, more traditional safety, they would want to bring back Quan Alexander. Hard to say. But at the moment, it certainly doesn't seem like it's any kind of priority for them.
1: Yeah, I, I, I really thought, you know, there was a time where he like he put out a song where he mentioned the Jets. He was tweeting. You know, uh, sending out messages, I I don't know, Instagram or but Twitter, he's had a Jets T-shirts on. Um, So I'm like, this guy's really just sending out, sending out the flares and he's coming back Um, and it it hasn't materialized. So I would have said unlikely. But as you mentioned, the Clark thing could change it a little bit. But if they do, I think, you know, we've talked about at other positions bringing guys in after week one that could be what the jets are waiting for um where they 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 don't feel any huge loss if they don't bring Quan back but if they are going to bring him back maybe it's after week one
0: next question comes in from tyler sloboda he asks what's the strangest thing you've had on a pizza that actually turned out to be good i'll go first mashed potato pizza thought it would be awful but i was wrong I'll be honest, I haven't gone crazy with the wacky toppings because I'll try some specialty slices and mostly it's the ones that you would expect to be good. I tend to like the traditional pizza better. That's what pizza is to me. It's pizza. So yeah, you can get these specialty toppings, but I like it better when it's just sauce, cheese, crust, and then maybe a traditional topping like pepperoni or mushroom or something like that. I will say... And this is the closest I can really come to answering this question because I haven't had anything wacky like that on pizza that tasted good. The first time I had buffalo chicken pizza, I wasn't sure what to expect because buffalo chicken is great. Pizza is great. But when they mix together, was it going to be good? I'd been told it was. This is many, many years ago when buffalo chicken pizza first became something that people ate. And I had it and it was tremendous. So that sort of surprised me a little bit. I wasn't sure how it was going to taste, but I can't really give you a better answer than that because I've never had anything incredibly crazy on pizza that ended up tasting good.
1: Yeah, I'm the same way, Scott. I'm, I'm a traditionalist with pizza. I don't do any of the highfalutin, new wave, like, hey, man, let's throw some Skittles on there and see what it's like. I'm not doing it. Um, I, I, I Nothing. I, I, I've never had a weird I do pepperoni, mushroom, sausage, whatever. Um, I will say with the buffalo chicken, I've not done it, but that is one of the few toppings I've not had that I've looked at and thought to myself, that could be all right. Like I, I would I wouldn't give anyone any heat for that. I can live with and, and one that I might try myself that that I haven't yet. But, yeah, I'm, I'm an old guy. I'm, I'm meat and potatoes. I, I like black coffee. I don't like coffee with with vanilla swirl and whipped cream on top. And I don't like pizza with with, you know, salad and pineapple and <laughs> and, and candy on it. I just just not my thing.
0: People who like pineapple and pizza should probably be thrown in a black ops prison. That's all I'm saying.
1: It's, it's definitely, it's definitely a strike against somebody if I have any type of relationship with them, um, and they, and that's one of the first things they tell me. Um, I just, yeah, it's, it's, it's a strike.
0: Next question comes in from Bernsey 66 He asks, "Do you think the Jets may carry only five wide receivers so that they could carry four tight ends?" After drafting Zach Kuntz. It's certainly possible. I wonder if the Jets are going to try and sneak Kuntz onto the practice squad. But if they do carry four tight ends, they're going to have to do something somewhere. And perhaps that ends up meaning five wide receivers. They could, of course, add somebody like Brownlee to the practice squad who would be sitting there waiting in case something happened to one of the other guys. But if they do keep Koontz and they've got Ruckert, Ozama, and Conklin, then yeah, maybe there's only five wide receivers. Certainly a possibility. Or perhaps they do something at running back where they trade Michael Carter or attempt to trade him or they do something with Bam Knight. But they're going to have to do something somewhere if they carry four tight ends.
1: Yeah, I. Th- this is one of the more fun discussions, I think, um, of the off season is looking at this roster, and you know it always is to some degree, right? Trying to guess the fifty three, um, but there's some guys, you know, n- not only is this team more talented than they've been in recent years, there are some guys like you know a guy like Zach Kuntz, who you'd have a hard time imagining somebody wouldn't try to scoop him up. If, uh, if you left him on the practice squad. But I, I think I said this last year, Scott, early in the year. I really thought we'd see more of Ruckert, and I thought they'd work him at fullback. That didn't happen, but when he worked at fullback late in the season, H-back fullback against the Dolphins, like he showed that he could be a punishing blocker. So there might be a role for him in the offense that, that won't require him to play you know, all of his snaps at tight end, but it, it's – how how it's going to shake out and how it's going to be configured? I look at the receivers and I think they have to carry six because you know there's the, you know th- there's enough guys there that I can see them not wanting to leave some of them on the practice squad, but it's it's a lot of it's going to come down to how these guys do in the in the uh, in the preseason. So obviously we're all re- really looking forward to that and and see how it shakes out.
0: Next question comes in from JP Waxer. He asked, did Chuck Clark and CJ Mosley actually play together in Baltimore, or did they just miss each other? If yes, maybe there's some synergy there. They did play together in Baltimore. However, it doesn't seem like that's going to matter now. Moot point. It's a shame because it would have been nice to see them playing together with the Jets. And as I mentioned before, I like the idea of having Chuck Clark as that third down linebacker in obvious passing situations. But now, clearly, that's not going to happen.
1: Yeah, it's, it's such a shame, you know, a lot of us were looking forward to to his addition and, and adding such a versatile guy And yeah, it would, it would have been nice to 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 bring him in and, and have some familiarity with the guy who's right in the middle of that defense And C.J. Mosley, but uh, as we know, it uh, won't be happening this year
0: Next question comes in from Luca B, he asks, where would be the best place for New Jets Stadium? I'm biased here, but I want the stadium to stay where it is, and I'll tell you why because I have a very short ride to the stadium right now, so I don't want to go in anywhere because my life is easier with the stadium being where it is. Now, I know a lot of people want it in New York. They talk about putting it in Manhattan. I can promise you that would be an absolute nightmare in terms of parking, in terms of traffic. I get it. There are a lot of Jets fans that are in New York that don't want to have to come over the bridge. I've been on that side of things as well myself, and so I know how uncomfortable and how unpleasant it could be. However, I don't like the idea of the Jets playing in a stadium in the city. I know that years ago there was talk of that, and supposedly there were plans for it, but it never materialized. I like the Jets where they are right now. That's just me, and it's because of the fact that I have a very short ride to the stadium. But if they were going to build a new one, and it was going to be in New York, which is, I assume, where you're going with this, it would have to be somewhere where it wouldn't be insanely hard for people to get to, and it wouldn't be totally clogged up. I'm not really sure off the top of my head where that would be. I don't see it being anywhere in Brooklyn or the Bronx or anything like that. Manhattan would be a logistical nightmare. Maybe somewhere in Queens, maybe somewhere on Long Island. I'm not sure, but I would think Queens or Long Island, if you were doing it in New York, might make the most sense.
1: In the years past, when we've heard people pitch it, when we've heard, uh, when we've heard the, the, you know, people speaking up and talking about why don't we have our own place? Queens seems to be the place that gets mentioned most often. I know, as you said, there was the West Side rumor that, you know, that Woody was trying to make happen years ago in Manhattan obviously didn't work. Uh, but, for, you know, for me personally, I would think with the roots, you know, with, with some of the roots the team has in Long Island, that would be, that would be one of the top options. Couldn't see it really being – I think the main thing, Scott, you mentioned it, the, 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 the logistics. I don't know financially what it would do to the price tag, but to me you'd have to put it in a place where you can add a couple of subway lines that run right under the stadium. Um, and make it a, a lot easier for fans to get there because you can't create the, the traffic nightmare of a football stadium in Manhattan. That would just be absolutely bonkers. And it would, it, I mean, it's already a nightmare commute getting in and out of MetLife. Um, you make it, Met, you make it in Manhattan, it's going to it'd be a lot worse. So I would think somewhere less populated than Manhattan, but the key to me would be getting some, some infrastructure, some transportation running right into that stadium.
0: Yeah, without a doubt, Glenn, putting a stadium on the west side of Manhattan, I always thought was crazy. The congestion, it would just cause so many problems. And not to mention, not only the Jets, but for other events that might be there at different points of the year, it would be crazy. Also, they spent a lot of money to build this stadium with the Giants. So maybe they leave it at some point, but for now, I don't see it happening anytime soon, at least not in the next couple of years. And as I said, biased in everything myself, I would prefer it stay where it is for now because, like I said easy ride for me and that's what I'm most concerned about at this moment and it's not like the old Giant Stadium where people would say oh you're playing in someone else's stadium because it's named Giant Stadium this stadium is literally a 50-50 venture between the Giants and the Jets and so it's just as much the Jets home as it is the Giants it was very different when they were playing at Giant Stadium that just felt wrong for a million different reasons next question comes in from Jim he asked Scott Have you been watching this season's Dark Side of the Ring? If so, what are your thoughts so far? Yeah, Glenn, I'll answer this one because I know you don't watch Dark Side of the Ring. As you said, you've started to get back into wrestling a little bit because of your kids, but you're not going to be watching these documentary series on stuff that happened in the past. So, so far there have been three episodes that have happened. Chris Candido and Tammy Sitch, that was the first episode. The second episode was on Magnum TA, and the third episode was on the Graham family. Now, the one that I probably enjoyed the least was Chris and Tammy, and the only reason for that is because I already know so much of their story. I knew all about Candido. Obviously, everybody knows about Sunny and all the crazy stuff she's been up to, particularly since Candido died, but even before that, when the two of them were together and all the terrible things, she claims now that she was On a break from Candido when she was sleeping With half the locker room including Shawn Michaels But in the past She did not claim that there been multiple times where she claimed that she did things like leave Chris Candido in the hotel room claiming to go get ice, then go sleep with Shawn Michaels and come back over an hour later. And I guess Candido was in denial. He just didn't want to hear it about Tammy because he was so in love with her. So he blocked it out and all the obvious signs, everybody else knowing what was going on, he decided he didn't want to know about it. But that story was already well known. I knew all the details there. With Magnum T.A., I knew a lot of the details, but because it's such an old story, it was nice to see that brought back up. The one thing that really soured me on Magnum T.A., although hopefully he's learned and grown from this as he's gotten older, is that even after his ex-wife took care of him when he was in the hospital, he still cheated on her when he got out. Obviously, you know what the lifestyle was like back in the 80s. Magnum T.A. was a man about town, even though he was married. But you look back at that tragic accident, if he hadn't gotten in that car wreck, It could have been a completely different wrestling business. Magnum TA could have been the Hulk Hogan of the NWA. I'm not saying that would have saved them from having to sell to Ted Turner, but it's something to think about, an interesting theoretical. And then the Graham family. I mean, it's just a sad story all the way around. Eddie Graham, widely known as one of the most creative minds, one of the smartest bookers in the history of professional wrestling. As you heard in the documentary, Championship Wrestling from Florida Was where everybody wanted to go Dusty Rhodes became one of the biggest stars In wrestling history down in Florida And Mike Graham has talked about this before Who also unfortunately took his life And that's why the episode was called Breaking the Cycle Because you had Eddie Graham Eddie Graham's father Eddie Graham's brother And then Mike Graham And Mike Graham's son all taking their own lives. And so Mike Graham's daughter is hopefully going to be the one to break that suicide cycle. But Mike Graham has talked many times about how when Dusty left Florida and took half the guys with him, it really mentally broke his father. And he was never the same after that. And the territory was never the same and all that. And obviously Vince McMahon was coming for everybody anyway. And so who knows how much longer Florida was going to be able to survive. But that was a crippling blow. And Eddie Graham obviously just couldn't handle not being Eddie Graham anymore. He had all those mental problems. Alcohol was a crutch for him. Mike Graham, similar situation. And it's just a very sad story. But the one thing that was nice is that you see the hope with the daughter who said she is going to be the one to break the cycle. She is going to be the one to carry on the Graham family name. And so that was nice to see. Some cool episodes coming up. The rest of the way, I know that Matt Bourne, Doink the Clown, is coming up this week, so that'll be fun. But yeah, we'll talk about these from time to time if you guys want to ask questions about them and get my thoughts. I've thought that Dark Side of the Ring has been very, very good all the way through so far. There are some episodes that interest me less than others just because they're more mainstream, and so I already know all about them. For example, how much more do we need to hear about the Montreal screw job, we really don't need to hear much. Now that one is for somebody who knows nothing about wrestling and is just watching it as though it's a true crime mystery or something like that. That's who an episode like that is for. The Von Erichs—I've heard that story ten thousand times. Plus, I'm a huge Dallas wrestling fan, so obviously I know the Von Erichs well. That one is more for somebody who doesn't really know wrestling. But then you got something like Herb Abrams. I've been waiting for somebody to do one on Herb Abrams for a long time. If you haven't seen that one, by the way, highly recommend it. That story is insane. Herb Abrams is one of a kind. I mean that in a good and very bad way. If you watch the episode, you'll see what I'm talking about. Herb Abrams, the promoter of the UWF, not the Bill Watts UWF. Different UWF. Bill Watts hadn't trademarked his Mid South UWF. And so Herb Abrams comes in, makes all these weird promises. Still to this day, nobody really knows where all his money came from and all the other mysteries that surrounded him but he ended up dying running away from the cops on a coke binge swinging a baseball bat as he ran through a midtown office in Manhattan then he had a heart attack and passed away just a wild story all the way around with the way he did business and all the different dealings Mick Foley was really funny in that episode as well so highly recommend that one if you haven't seen it but that's my thoughts on Dark Side of the Ring so far this season and overall as a series and like I said if you guys want to ask more questions about it you're more than welcome to especially Here in the offseason where we Don't have a lot of football going on That will wrap up part number two of The mailbag we're going to be back for part number Three because it is a holiday weekend so we'll do A three-part mailbag part three is Tomorrow in the meantime check out everything Glenn's Doing over at jetnation.com and what he's got happening over at Jet Nation Radio. Check out everything we've got over at playlikeajet.com and the Play Like a Jet YouTube channel. We've got some awesome all 22 film reviews up on our YouTube channel, so watch them right now and subscribe if you haven't already, youtube.com slash jet. Visit our store, That's teepublic.com. That's tee We've got the John Franklin Myers, Quentin Williams, Bless You Thank You shirt, the Play Like a Jet logo shirt, caps, mugs, hoodies, it's all there. That's teepublic.com. That's tee And be sure to give us a five-star review for the podcast on iTunes. If you haven't done that already Easy way to help out the show If you like what we're doing Doesn't take you much time Doesn't cost you any money But it goes a long way to help us out So if you can go ahead and do that for us We'd be quite grateful For the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcast and content You know where to go That's Play like a Jet Digital And PlayLikeJet.com